0: Yeah, so first time preaching here, appreciate you guys having me. Uh, Funny thing is, last December I was supposed to preach during the Advent series, but uh, then I got sick and was in the hospital, and so Craig had to fill in for me. And so now we just return the favor. So um, does Craig sit here and preach? I imagine this is what this is for. Okay, yeah, it feels natural. Uh, So I'm Pastor Matt, I'm the pastor of Youth and Young Adults over at the Village campus. Um, Just, if I've not had the chance to meet you... um, so glad to be here. Um, I've got four kids, one wife, one dog, two in-laws, and 13 chickens. Um, so a little bit about me of that. Um, the, the, the favorite thing about all those people that live in my house, it's a crazy house, is my wife. Now, not just because she's beautiful and godly woman and all that. I mean, she is, she is, she is she's, she's great. But um, she let me name my four kids after guns. She's incredible. Yeah, so I've got I've got Madison, my daughter, which means amazing grace, and then so Madison is magnificent, and Grace is well, just Grace, and then I've got Colton, Wesson, and Remington, and so like I personally love those names because you know I'm a um, I'm a firm believer, uh, not necessarily in the Second Amendment, though I am, um, but the notion that a name means something, like. I was so excited to, to call my boys those names because I think when you give a son a name, when you give a daughter a name, you're, you're, you're trying to communicate to them something about what you want their life to be. So something about how you want them to grow up. And I'm thinking, yes, I want the strong boys. I want I want controlled power boys. Like I just want boys that like feel like mm, my name's Colt. Yeah, I like that. And um, I love the verse in Psalm one twenty seven four that says like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And I want to shoot my kids. Um, not just because they make me angry, but I, like, I literally want to take a quiver out of the bow and shoot them into the world for the gospel of God and say, go and impact the world. And, and that's how I view those, those three boys and my daughter, though I'm going to really have a hard time letting that little girl go. Um, but I will. I'll, I'll, I'll grow in that. Um, and so... And with those boys, they have to pass on the faith. Madison has to pass on the faith. And I, and, I, and I want that to be part of their, of just their identity is we didn't have them just, well, can't necessarily say we planned it, um, but we didn't have them just for a kid's sake. We, we had them to pass on the faith and pass on legacy. And when we get into Isaac... Isaac is all about passing on the faith. He's all about a conduit of faith because who are, who are our fathers of faith? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now, a lot of scripture is given to Abraham. A lot of scripture is given to Jacob, but just a little bitty part is given to Isaac. And it's not that he's not important. He's one of the most important because he is a conduit of faith. Like, like if you ever worked with PVC pipe, you have those little connectors you got Abraham's a PVC, Jacob's a PVC, and Isaac's right there in the connector. And so, he's so important because without Abraham, Isaac, then you got Jacob. Who comes after Jacob? What's the most important guy that comes after Jacob? Who is Jacob's son? Sorry, I'm very interactive when I teach. I'm I'm used to this. Joseph. Joseph. Now, I like that you say that because Joseph's my man, but uh, Judah. Judah's in the line of Jesus. If Isaac doesn't pass on the faith, it stops right there. And so it's so important that we look at the life of Isaac and we try to glean those those, uh, messages about how how to pass on the faith. And so our, our first point... Do we have that thing up there? There we go. Oh, I was looking for Isaac up there. All right, so... The first part of Isaac's life ha- happens way before he was born, because we have to understand his dad, okay? It's like looking at my kids, and when you know their names, you're like, wait, why are you named that? And, and, and then you meet me, and you're like, oh, tch, I get it. Makes sense now. So, so we have to meet Abraham, and it's been a while since you've been in Abraham, at least what, eight, ten weeks? Because we did the Explore God and all that. So let's just review the life of Abraham a little bit. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God comes in and he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and bless you and make your name great, so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promised Abraham a land, a land, He promised him a nation, and he promised him a blessing, which would be the leader, Jesus Christ. And at first, Abraham fails at this. And this is going back to those weeks where we just started banging our heads against the wall with Abraham. I mean, he said, go to a land, and then he goes to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he lies about Sarah's wife, and Pharaoh takes her in as her own wife. And you're like, oh, Abe... And then there's Hagar, and Hagar had Ishmael, and Hagar displaced Sarai, and that just caused so much turmoil in their home. And then there was Abimelech. He lied about his wife again. And then there was laughter. And you're like, what? Why is laughter in this list? Well, let's check it out. Let's go to Genesis 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but it's up here. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. It's not the first time he's heard this, but it goes on. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And this isn't laugh like... (laughs) Funny god, I want to see like how you do this. This is on his face rolling on the ground like laughing and mocking god. I've never laughed at god that hard. What the picture that comes to my head is that red bird from Aladdin when he like he just like he's laughing so hard, he's just un, un, uncontrollable that it's so absurd that Abraham would have a wife with or that that Abraham would have a child with Sarah that he fell on his face and laughed and Look what God does. God does this. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live, might live before you. He's like, God, there's no way you're going to give me a son. I've already kind of got one. Just, just let him live. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And at this point, I think Abraham was like, Seriously, Clark? I got to call him Isaac, because Isaac means laughter. And every time you would say Isaac's name, or he would say Isaac's name, or Sarah would say Isaac's name, and by the way, Abraham wasn't the only one that laughed at this. There's another time that God promised that Sarah would have a son, and she's in her tent, and she goes, <laughs> she's laughing like, this is so crazy. And then the angel goes to Sarah and goes, why'd you laugh? And this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. And she was like, no, I didn't laugh. And all the Bible says is, but you did. (laughs) It's like, gee, I expected more from that conversation, but it's so cool. He said, but you did. So every time they say it, Isaac means laughter. And it's just every single time Abraham and Sarah know you do not laugh and mock the promises of God because they will come true. And this comes true for Isaac, that when he gets named Isaac, he's going to remember that too. And I just got to be honest, like, sometimes I read Abraham's life, and I just think, like, I am glad I'm not that dumb. <laughs> right? Like, thank you. you you've, we've met then. Like, I am glad I, I believe God's promises, and I didn't make stupid choices, and then I realized that's not true at all. And we should not sit on a, on a high and mighty seat of, I am not like Isaac. Like, I firmly believe in the promises of God, and so I was just proving it to myself that, like, I don't believe in the promises of God, and here's here's how I prove it. And maybe you can see yourself in in, in this. God promises to be our comforter and our help in time of mourning, so I self-medicate. God promises freedom from sin through detailed confession. So I keep it in and I say, God, you and me got this, or I only tell half truths. God promises life and joy through local church community. So I sign my kids up for travel soccer. And I'm never there on Sundays. God God promises blessing for those who wait to marry a godly man or a woman. So I become unequally yoked and date a non-Christian, thinking, God's going to change him. She's cute. He'll be right with the Lord one day. God promises that bitterness will corrupt us and our loved ones, so I baby it and I get angry when someone challenges me. God promises this one is... This one is right here with me as I'm looking at a screen. God promises promises transformation through study and meditation of his word, and I distract and entertain myself to death. How many times do I sit there and I'm like, I'm bored. I'm going to check this. God promises those who are in Christ are forgiven and free from condemnation, but I insist that God's angry at me, that he doesn't forgive me when I confess. We just... We don't believe and hold to the promises of God. We're just like Abraham. We're just like Sarah. It's just more subtle, and we kind of accept it because it's the norm within American Christianity. And so the Bible is so full of stories like that, of men and women that just doubt the promises of God, and our lives are full of those times where we doubt the promises of God. But the Bible's also full of stories of people that get it right. They eventually get it right, and I'm thankful Abraham did. Let's check out Genesis 21. Genesis 21 says, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah born to him, Isaac. Now dads, how hard would that be to call your son laughter? Every time you see him, you go, Isaac, 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 Isaac. <laughs> it was, I, I don't even have a, it's like that uh, Boy Named Sue song, right? But the meanest thing that he ever did was he went and named me Sue. So this boy named Sue from the Johnny Cash song grows up getting beat up and laughed at. It's like, how hard must have Isaac's life been that his name was Laughter? Personally, I would have probably twisted it. I'd be like, yeah, my name's Laughter because I laugh in the face of danger. You know, just, just try to play it off. But I, I, I just have to think that every time he asks his mom and asks his dad, why'd you name me Laughter? This is a teaching moment for parents to talk to their son. This is why I named you this. This is why your name is Laughter, because I laughed at God. I I have to believe Abraham and Sarah owned their failure, which is so important to do in the life of your kids. And they were honest and said, so we we named you Laughter, and don't you ever forget it, boy, because you do not laugh at the promises of God. Yahweh will always come through and always keep his promise. So it's a reminder for all who say it that Yahweh keeps his promises despite impossible odds. I'll contend that Abraham went a step further in finally obeying God. Check out the next verse here in Genesis 21. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. I love that it puts it here, as God commanded him. If you think back eight weeks or so into the last maybe 10 weeks when um, God first commanded Abraham to circumcise all the males in his household, and it was very detailed. He had to do it, and he had to do it this way, and then the Bible was detailed that he, he did obey it, and it went this way, and it went this way, and it went this way. I was like, I didn't have a problem with that chapter. Personally, I was like, okay, weird. I can't see myself doing that, but you know, there's doctors that do it. Okay. And then I read this verse, and I'm like, you circumcise my eight-day-old baby boy? I got to be honest with you. I've had I've been in the room when four kids were born. I didn't see a single one of them come out because that's enough to ruin a man. And I especially was not in the room when my three boys were circumcised. I couldn't do that to my little boy. And Abraham says, Abraham finally gets it. He's finally seen God's promises come through, and he finally sees this pattern of, huh, when I have faith and obey, things go well. When I don't have faith and I try to do things my own way, things go really, really poorly. So God, I'm finally going to listen to you. And this, I think, is, is, is the start of Abraham's being the dad that God needs him to be so that he could pass on the faith to Isaac, so Isaac can pass on the faith to his kids and generation and generation and generation. And we're here now, so we know there was no plug in the pipe. And Abraham did it, what, 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 what strikes me is like as I see Abraham's life and then I look at mine, I'm like, Abraham did this without the Holy Spirit. He did this without the written word of God. He did this without pastors and church staff literally spending their entire lives, weeks, hours trying to figure out how to pour into him. Abraham did it with just, hey, Abraham, Go. then he figured it out as he went. How much more should we pass on our faith? How much more should we look to someone who needs a mentor, who needs a disciple? I'm not talking to just parents. I'm talking to everyone who is not a parent. I can only name a few here, but you know. Being a disciple maker, like being assigned and assisted with the great commission doesn't start as soon as you're wife has a baby, or as soon as you have a baby, it's, it's all the time, and how much more are we equipped to do it? I was very challenged when I thought, man, I'm judging Abraham, but here I have, I, I, I have a legacy behind me of mentors, of pastors. I have the entire written word of God that tells me exactly who God is and, and, and what he's like, and Abraham had to find out for himself, who God is and and, and what he's like. And it was very challenging to me that I have no excuse not to get busy in the work of God, and I don't think you do either. And I'm pretty sure that Isaac owned it. And I say that because I kind of read ahead, and in Genesis 26, God reaffirms his promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac. But also, I think Isaac kind of proves it with his life, and that's such a relief but I do have to go, go back and kind of pause and say, now, two parents, you can teach, you can mentor, you can disciple, you can pray, you can cry and cry and cry for your children to come to faith in Christ, but they still have to make it their choice. It's your job to pass it on, but it's not your job to make them receive it. And it's painful and it's hard. I know from talking to my wife that her brother is astray from from Christ and he's not returned yet. And she remembers times of her parents on their knees every night when she would get home praying for her brother of wherever he was, whatever he was doing, just crying out to God, save him, save him, save him. And he's 40 now, still hasn't, but I think there's hope. Or I know there's hope because if there wasn't hope, what are we doing? But just please know and please be comforted, that it's not up to you for that. And there's always time. And I think Isaac personally took on this faith. So let's go to Genesis. What are we, we going to be in there? Genesis 22, 1 through 12. And I know you guys looked at this through the eyes of, A- of Abraham when he was told to sacrifice his son. But today we're going to look at it through the, eye, through the eyes of Isaac. And we got to start by saying, okay, how old is Isaac here at this point? He's between 5 and 37. I know that's really helpful. But we know he's not quite 5, and he's definitely probably not 37, because um, he's not married yet and things like that. So I would picture him like a teenager, you know, 14 to 17, Dylan, Marcus, like right about there. So, so, so when you're picturing this story, all right, picture Dylan, okay? Dylan, is that cool with you? All right, Dylan, raise your hand in case you no I mean, you are popular, but okay. Okay, so... So we got a picture Dylan. All right. God's word says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I want to pause here because every time God's come to Abraham, he said something really cool, right? Abraham, you're going to have a boy. Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. Absolutely, I will. Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed by you. Sure thing, Abraham, let's make a covenant. You go to sleep and I'll pass through the dead animals. Like almost every time God said Abraham, Abraham goes, yes, sir. But this time he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And you should be saying, pause. If Isaac's dead, the promises stop. Stop. And if the promises stop and Isaac's dead, God is a liar. How can this be? And, and, and we have to think, okay, Abraham, will you believe God? Um, but while we're reading this, I don't want you to necessarily think of Abraham, will you believe God because we know he does. Let's think, Isaac, do you have faith in God at this moment? Let's continue reading. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So I don't think Isaac's five because Isaac had to be old enough to make this journey, old enough to cut wood and to carry wood, um, and also kind of old old enough to understand like the sacrificial law system. Um, And I had the day off on Friday and I made the most of it by splitting some wood with my boy Remy. He's four, um, so I, he has a little hatchet, and he just hits the wood, you know, and then I split it, and he's allowed to stack it, and I'm, I'm thinking the whole time, like, this would be so much faster if you weren't with me, um, but I, I don't do it for speed. Like, I just do it because I want him to have callous hands in a servant's heart. Like, I'm doing it just because I want to be with him, and I want to teach him, but I know he's not like four or five. He's Kind of a teenager, which I can't wait to split wood with my kids. Like, this is going to be awesome. All right. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Let's go on. And they came to a place of God, which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So. So. Did Isaac have faith? I think so. I know this because, Dylan, I can't imagine a world where you can't beat up your 100-year-old dad. (laughs) All right? Or, now, Mark, I'm sorry. If I picture you as a 100-year-old man, like, I'm still afraid of you, okay? But you can outrun him. All right? You you can practice Thai flea. And then you're gone. I mean... I can't imagine a world where a 14-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, gets run down by his hundred-year-old dad. I think Isaac understood that, hey, my name's Laughter, my dad has told me all this stuff. I got that crazy brother Ishmael out there and like like all these things are in his head, like I know God's gonna come through in some way, shape, or form. So he allowed his dad to bound him. And to this I kind of thought, whoa. Doesn't binding him, like, prove that he was trying to fight and struggle? And I'm thinking, like, no, because I wouldn't want to flinch. And I'm like, okay, dad. Like, I just, he just shows uncanny obedience to his dad. And I, I've, I've got to believe that Isaac knew somehow they would both return from there. And Abraham knew that too, because he reached up his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And the whole time, Abraham's going to do this. Why? Why? Hebrews eleven tells us why. He had faith even that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham was going to do it. God was testing him, and he raised his hand. And in, I think the moment, the moment of the most relief in the Bible, Abraham hears a voice. And I, this is where I really wonder: Did Isaac hear the same voice? Was it like so audible that like Isaac heard it too? Or was it just in Abram's head? Or was it just in his heart? I don't know. I really wish I was there for this story. And then I could tell you, but I can't. Um, and so the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And what I don't have on the screen is that God provided a lamb. There's a ram caught in the thicket, and so Isaac unbound, bound the ram, put it there, and one of the questions I have is, how fast did Isaac run away from that altar? <laughs> and what lesson does he have that my life, me passing on my faith, my conduit, is so important that God would step in for me, that I had a sentence of quote-unquote death, even though I'm pretty sure I would have come out of it, because then the promise is... Like, what he's going but how fast would he have just come off that altar and said yes it wasn't me it was the lamb and how much does that point to jesus christ and how we should live our lives when when we're finally saved, when when, when we finally hear and respond to the gospel message that we do not have to bear our own sin, but Jesus, taking the certificate of debt of our sin, nails it to the cross. And instead of us being up there, Jesus said, "Get down off of it. I will come and substitute for you. I will take your place." How fast should we run into the freedom and life that Christ gives us after that? I just picture him like running around the little yard, like doing like a airplane thing like free at last i love that picture and so why did god test him um well it revealed his heart i think it also revealed yahweh's heart we have to remember child sacrifice is nothing new during this time and so god is showing these two men that i'm not like those other gods I will not ask you to sacrifice your kid. I am completely and totally different than that. And it left an indelible mark on Isaac's soul. He will remember this for the rest of his life, knowing that it is important for him to pass it on to his next generation and for them to take it on and so on and so forth until we get all the way to Jesus and all the way to us. And I think it's stuck. Isaac got the message that he's got to personally take it on because next week, hopefully Pastor Craig will teach on Isaac taking a wife. And then from there, having kids. And then it goes on and on and on. So what? We are conduits of God's promises. Our children, our grandchildren, they are watching us. And I got to tell you, I like the Bible, but I don't like some things in it. Um, and it's not the things I don't understand that I don't like. Like, It's okay with me that I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I mean, Jesus said he's coming back, and okay, I have faith in him that he comes back. When's he coming back? Yeah, I don't know. No clue. But the things I don't like are the things that I most clearly understand, and the things that I most clearly understand, I fail to do. I fail to treat my wife the way I should day in and day out. I fail to not lose my temper at at my kids. I fail to on and on and on and on and on. And then there's this truth that my kids are watching me. They're watching me overbook my life so that I press God out and I press God's people out. They're watching me overspend my money and consume so that I have no room for generosity and fall into various snares of debt and etc. Cetera, et cetera, they are They're they are watching me bicker and fight and judge people and be angry, especially in the truck. Um, and they're watching me. And I don't like that. And it's, the, it's, it's this, it's not that I wish it wasn't there, I just wish I wasn't the way I was. And I, um, it's weighty to know that everyone is watching you. And for those that aren't parents, you, you bear the name Christian, people are watching you. They're watching you everywhere. Just everyone is always watching. And before I am despaired and just give up on life, I remember James. It says, but God gives a greater grace. He is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so, looking at my failure, looking at that, I see, God, in humility, I want to pray to you and ask for help. God, I cannot be the one to make my kids believe. God, I cannot be the one to make my youth group believe. I cannot be the one to make my college-age ministry people believe. All I can do is be faithful to pass on truth, and day in and day out, try to follow you and trust you with those choices. Because... Our next so what is the people we pass them on to. They have to own it. All right? So this is to anyone here who hasn't trusted in Christ, who's keeping God at the stiff arm still. Why do you wait? It's like, why did, why did Abraham have to go through so much heartache before he finally get it? Why do I have to get to the end of myself? Why do I have to get laid out on a hospital bed for two weeks before I'd be like, all right, God, let's do some business? Why, why, why do I have to wait? Why do you have to wait to bow the knee to God? You need to own it now. And maybe it's not just salvation. Maybe it's just a change that the Holy Spirit is pushing in your heart. Own it before it's really painful not to. Because there's a phrase that's been true in my life, and it's this. Change will not happen until the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change. And I just wish that I could like flip that on its head and say, change won't happen until the joy of following God is so much realer that I would more gladly take that, right? And so you have to own it by faith. And this story, I mean, it just, it screams that God is worthy for you to bow the knee to him. It screams that what he's done is is worthy of worshiping him. We, because of our sins, we're the one that's laid down on that proverbial altar with a sentence of death to us. That in complete righteousness, God says, because of your sin, you have to die. And then we hear a voice saying, Jesus, whoa, 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 pause. Don't kill Matt. Don't let him pay for his sins. I will. That substitution, that level of love and, and, and sacrifice, guys, should be reason more than enough for us to change. Reason more than enough for us to finally believe God and own these promises and own this faith ourselves so that we can pass it on to whomever the Lord puts in our path, kid, friend, teacher, student, whomever it is, it is that important. And I'm thankful that God doesn't leave us to do it by ourselves. Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You don't have to do it yourself. And I just love that God gives a greater grace because we need it and we have to have it. So let me pray for us as our worship team comes up and we can praise the name of Jesus that sacrificed himself for us. Heavenly Father, um, as we get into this story, Lord, I, I'm in awe of your patience with your children. And thank you that through Jesus Christ, we can be called your children. Thank you that, um, Lord, I was once um, dead. I was once without you. Um, I was once faith with the, faced with the penalty of my own sin. And you came and took on that penalty on, on the cross and you rose again. And I'm just so thankful that we get the opportunity to look back and to learn from it and God to hopefully um, not have to be so humbled before we finally submit to you, be, be, before we finally take it serious to pass on our faith or, or, or we finally take it serious to own our faith Lord, or we just finally make any change that you've asked us to. And so Lord, I pray now that as we go into this time of praise, as we go into communion, We can have that sacrifice and that substitution and how worthy you are to be praised in the forefront of our hearts and our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.